Section 13 of Martin Pippin in the Apple Orchard by Eleanor Fargen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Eastman. The Mill of Dreams continued. Entering the next four days, it was always so. A dozen times in their talks she tried to come near him, and could not. Was it because he would not let her? or because the thing she wished to find in him was not really there. Sometimes by his manner only, and sometimes by his words, he baffled her when she attempted to approach him. And the attempt had been so painful to conceive, and its stillbirth was such agony to her. He would talk frequently of the time he would be making tracks again. "'Where to?' asked Helen. "'I leave it to chance. I always have.' I've never made plans, or very seldom, and I'm not often twice in the same place. You look tired. I'm sorry to be a bother to you. But it'll be for the last time, most likely. Go and lie down. I don't want to, said Helen under her breath. And in her thoughts she was crying. The last time? Then it must be soon, soon. I'll make you listen to me now. I want to sleep said Peter. She left the room. Tears of helplessness and misery filled her eyes. She was almost angry with him, but more angry with herself. But her self-anger was mixed with shame. She was ashamed that he made her feel so much, while he felt nothing. Did he feel nothing? It's my stupidity that keeps us apart, she whispered. I will break through it. As quickly as she had left him she returned, and stood by the bed. He was lying with his hand pressed over his eyes. When he was conscious of her being there, his hand fell, and his keen eyes shot into hers. His brows contracted. "'You nuisance!' he muttered, and hid his eyes again. She turned and left him. When she got outside the door, she leaned against it and shook from head to foot. She hovered on the brink of her delusions and felt as though she would soon crash into a precipice. She longed for him to go before she fell. Yes, she began to long for the time when he should go and end this pain and leave her to the old strange life that had been so sweet. His living presence killed it. After that third day she had had no more fears for his safety, and he was strong and rallied quickly. The goal, too, was saved. He saved it. It had drooped and sickened with her. She did not know what to do with it. On the fourth day, as he was so much better, she brought it to him. He reset its wing and kept it by him, making it his patient and his playfellow. It thrived at once and grew tame to his hand. He fondled and talked to it like a lover. She would watch him silently with her smoldering eyes as he fed and caressed the bird, and jabbered to it in scraps of a dozen foreign tongues. His tenderness smote her heart. "'You're not very fond of birds,' he said to her once, when she had been sitting in one of her silences while he played with his pet. The words, question or statement, filled her with anger. She would not trust herself to protest or deny. 
I don't know much about them, she said. That's a pity, said Peter coolly. The more you know em, the more you have to love em. Yet you could love them for all sorts of things without knowing them, I'd have thought. She said nothing. For their beauty, now, that's worth loving. Look at this one. You are a beauty, all right, aren't you, my pretty? Not many girls to match you. He paused and ran his finger down the bird's throat and breast. Perhaps you don't think she's beautiful, he said to Helen. Yes, she's beautiful, said Helen, with a difficulty that sounded like reluctance. Ah, you don't think so. You ought to see her flying. You shall some day. When her hurt's mended, she'll fly. I'll let her go. Perhaps she won't go, said Helen. Oh, yes, she will. How can she stop in a place like this? This is no air for her. She must fly in her own. You'll be sorry to see her go, said Helen. To set her free? No, not a bit. I want her to fly. Why should I keep her? I'd not let her keep me. I'd hate her for it. Why should I make her hate me? Perhaps she wouldn't, said Helen in a low voice. Oh, I expect she would. Ungrateful little beggar. I've saved her life, and she ought to know she belongs to me. So she might stay out of gratitude. But she'd come to hate me for it all the same. Not at first. After a bit. Because we change. Bound to, aren't we? Perhaps. I know I do. We can none of us stay what we were. You haven't either. You haven't much to go by, said Helen. Seven minutes at the door, wasn't it? This time it's been seven days. Yes. It's a long time for me, said Peter. It's not much out of a lifetime. No. But suppose it were more than seven days. Helen looked at him and said slowly, It will be, won't it? You won't be able to go tomorrow. No, said Peter. Not tomorrow, or next day, perhaps. Perhaps I won't be able to go for the rest of my life. This time Helen looked at him and said nothing. Peter stroked his bird and whistled his tune, and stopped abruptly and said, Will you marry me, Helen? I'd rather die, said Helen. And she got up and went out of the room. Oh, the green grass, chuckled Martin like a bird. Nobody asked you to begin a song, Master Pippin, quavered Jennifer. It was not the beginning of a song, Mistress Jennifer. It was the epilogue of a story. But the epilogue comes at the end of a story, said Jennifer. And hasn't my story come to its end, said Martin. Jocelyn. Ridiculous! Oh, dear, there's no bearing with you. How can this be the end? How can it be, with him on one side of the door and her on the other? Joyce. And her heart's breaking. You must make an end of that. Jennifer. And you must tell us the end of the shell. Jessica. And of the millstones. Jane. What did he have in his box? Please, said little Joan, tell us whether she ever found her boy again. Oh, please tell us the end of her dreams. 
do these things matter said martin hasn't he asked her to marry him but she said no said jennifer with tears in her eyes did she said martin who said so master pippin said jocelyn and her voice shook with the agitation of her anger tell us immediately the things we want to know when i wonder said martin will women cease to want to know little things more than big ones however i suppose they must be indulged in little things lest lest said little joan there is such a thing said martin as playing for safety well then my dear maids when helen ran out of his room she went to her own and she threw herself on the bed and sobbed without weeping because everything in her life seemed to have been taken away from her she lay there for a long time and when she moved at last her head was so heavy that she took the pins from her hair to relieve herself of its weight but still the pain weighed on her forehead which burned on her cold fingers when she pressed them over her eyes trying to think and find some gleam of hope among her despairing thoughts and then she remembered that one thing at least was left her her shell during his illness she had never carried it to the millstones it was as though his being there had been the only answer to her daily dreams an answer that had failed them all the time but now in spite of him she would try to find the old answers again so she went once more to the millstones with her shell and when she got there she held it so tightly to her heart that it marked her skin and the millstones had nothing to say for the first time they refused to grind her corn then helen knew that she really had nothing left and that the homecoming of the man had robbed her of her boy and of the child she had been nothing was left but the man and woman who had lost their youth and the man had nothing to give the woman nothing but gratitude and disillusion and now a still bitterer thought came to her the thought that the boy had had nothing to give the girl for twenty years it had been the girl's illusion the storms in her heart broke out she put her face in her hands and wept like wild rain on the sea she wept so violently that between her passion and the speechless grinding of the stones she did not hear him coming she only knew he was there when he put his arm round her what is it you silly thing said peter she looked up at him through her hair that fell like a girl's in soft masses on either side of her face there was a change in him but she didn't know then what it was he had got into his clothes and made himself kempt his beard was no longer rough though his hair was still unruly across his forehead and under it his grey-green eyes looked half anxious half smiling into hers his face was rather pale and he was a little unsteady in his weakness but the look in his eyes was the only thing she saw it unlocked her speech at last oh why did you come back she cried why did you come back if you had never come i should have kept my dream to the end of my life but now even when you go i shall never get it again you have destroyed what was not there he was silent for a moment 
still keeping his arm round her. Then he said, Look what's here. And he opened his hand, and showed her his metal box without its lid. In it were the mummies of seven ears of corn. Some were only husks, but some had grain in them still. She stared at them through her tears, and drew from her breast her hand with the shell in it. Suddenly her mouth quivered, and she cried passionately, What's the use? And she snatched the old corn from him, and flung it to the millstones with her shell. And the millstones ground them to eternal atoms. My boy, my boy, it was you over there in the tree. Oh, child, you came at last in your blue gown. Why didn't you call to me? I'd no breath, I was spent, and I knew you'd seen me and would do your best. I'll never forget that sight of you in the tree, with your old jersey and your hair as red as ever. I shall always see your free young figure standing on the high bank against the sky. Oh, I was desperate. I wondered what you'd do. I knew you'd do something. I thought I'd never get across the water. Do you know what I thought as I saw you coming so bravely and so badly? I thought, I'll teach her to swim one day. Shall I, child? I can't swim without you, my boy, she whispered. But you pretended not to know me. I couldn't help it. It was such fun. How could you make fun of me, then? I always shall, you know. Oh, yes, she said. Do. Always. What did you think when you saw me in the tree? What did you see when you got there? Not what you expected. No, I saw twenty years come flying upon me, twenty years I'd forgotten all about, because, for me, it has always been twenty years ago. And you expected to see a boy, and you saw a grizzled man. No, said Helen, her eyes shining with tears. I expected to see a boy, and I saw a gray-haired woman. I've seen her ever since. I've only seen her once, said Peter. I saw her rise up from the water and sit in my tree. And when she spoke and looked at me, it was a child. He put his hand over her wet eyes. You must stop seeing her, child, he said. When I told you my name, were you disappointed? No, it's the loveliest name in the world. You said it at once. I had to. I'd wanted to say it for twenty years. But I shan't say it often, Helen. Won't you? No, child. Now and then, for a treat? She looked up at him, half shy, half merry. Oh, you can smile, can you? You were to teach me that, too. Yes, I've a lot to teach you, haven't I? I've yet to teach you to say my name. Have you? You've never said it once. I've said it a thousand times. You've never let me hear you. Haven't I? Let me hear you. Peter. Say it again. Peter, Peter, Peter. Again. My boy. When we got back to the mill door, 
the last of the twenty years that had been melting faster and faster, melted away forever, and you and I were standing there as we'd stood then, and I wanted to kiss your mouth as I'd wanted to then. Oh, why didn't you, both times? Shall I now, for both times? Oh, oh, that's for a hundred times. Think of all the times I've wanted to and been without you. You've never been without me. I know that. How often I came to the mill. Did you come to the mill? As often as I ate your grain, didn't you know? I know how often your sea brought me to you. Did it? And, oh, my boy, at last the sea brought you to me. And the mill, he said. Where has that brought us? I thought perhaps you'd die. I couldn't have died so close on finding you. I was fighting the demons all the time, fighting my way through to you. And at last I opened my eyes and saw you again, your black hair edged with light against the window. My black hair? You mean my brown hair, don't you? Oh, weren't you cross? I loved you for being cross. I wasn't cross. Why will you keep on saying I'm things I'm not? You were so cross that you pretended our twenty years were sixty. I never said anything about twenty years or sixty. You did, though. Sixty. Why, in sixty years we'd have been very nearly old. So to punish you, I pretended to go to sleep, and I saw you take your hair down. It was so beautiful. You've seen the threads spiders spin on blackened furs that gypsies have set fire to? Your hair was like that. You were angry with those lovely lines of silver, and you wanted to get rid of them. I nearly called to you to stop hurting what I loved so much, but you stopped of yourself as though you had heard me before I called. I was ashamed of myself, whispered Helen. I was ashamed of trying to be again what I was the only other time you saw me. You've never stopped being that child, said Peter. You knew, didn't you, why it was I had stayed on at the mill? You knew what it was that held me, and why I could never leave it. Yes, I knew. It held you because it held me, too. I wondered if you'd tell me that. I longed to, but I couldn't. I've never been able to tell you things and I never shall. Oh, child, don't look so troubled. You've always told me things, and always will. Do you think it's with our tongues we tell each other things? What can words ever tell? They only circle round the truth like birds flying in the sun. The light bathes their flight, yet they are millions of miles away from the light they fly in. We listen to each other's words, but we watch each other's eyes. Some people have shut their eyes, Peter. Some people, Helen, can't shut their eyes at all. Your eyes will never stop telling me things. And the strangest thing about them is that looking into them is like being able to see in the dark. They are darkness, not light. And in darkness dreams are born. When I look into your eyes, I go into your dream. I shall never shut my eyes again she whispered, I will keep you in my dream forever. 
Women aren't all the same, Peter. Aren't they? And yet they are. Well, I give it up. Didn't you know? No, I told you the truth that time. I've not had very much to do with women. Then I've something to teach you, Peter. I don't know what you can prove, said Peter. One woman by herself can't prove a difference. Can't she? said Helen, and laughed and cried at once. But why did you call me a nuisance? You were one. You are one. You leave a man no peace. You're like the sea. You're full of storms, aren't you? Not only storms. I know. But the sea wouldn't be the sea without her storms. They're one of her ways of holding us, too. And there are more storms in her than ever break. I see them in you, big ones and little ones, brooding. Then you're a nuisance. You always will be, won't you? Not to wreck you. You won't do that. Or if you do, I can survive shipwreck. I know. How do you know? I nearly gave up once, but the thought of you stopped me. I wanted to come back. I'd always meant to. So I held on. I know. How do you know? I never told you, did I? Oh, Peter, the things we have to tell each other. The times you thought you were alone. The times I thought I was. You've had a life you never dreamed of. And I another life that was not in my dreams. You've saved me from death more than once, said Peter. You've done more than that, said Helen. You've given me the only life I've had. But a thing doesn't belong to you because you've saved its life or given it life. It only belongs to you because you love it. I know you belong to me, but you only know if I belong to you. That's not true now. You do know, and I know. Yes, and we know that as that belonging has nothing to do with death, it can't have anything either to do with the saving or even the giving of life. So you must never thank me, or I you. There are no thanks in love. And that was why I couldn't bear your asking me to marry you today. I thought you were thanking me. When you played with the seagull? Yes. How you loved it? Yes. I looked to see how you felt when you loved a thing. I wanted so much to be the seagull in your hands. When I touched it, I was touching you. She put his hand to her breast and whispered, I love birds. He smiled. I knew you loved them, and best free. All birds must fly in their own air. Yes, she said. But their freedom only means their power to choose what air they'll fly in, and every choice is a cage, too. I shall leave the door open, child. I shall never fly out, said Helen. You talked of going away. Yes, but not from you. Am I to go with you always, following chance and making no plans? Will you? You are the only plan I ever made. Will you leave everything else but me to chance? Perhaps it will lead us all over the earth, 
and perhaps after all we shall not go very far. But I never could see ahead, except one thing. What was it? The mill door, and you in your old blue gown. And for seven days I've stopped seeing that. I haven't it to steer by. Will you chance it? Must you be playing with meanings, even in dreams? Don't you know? Don't you know that for a woman who loves, and is not sure that she is loved, her days and nights are all chances, every minute she lives is a chance? It might be, it might not be. Oh, those ghosts of joy and pain, they are almost too much to bear. For the joy isn't pure joy, or the pain pure pain, and she cannot come to rest in either of them. Sometimes the joy is nearly as great as though she knew. Yet at the instant she tries to take it, it looks at her with the eyes of doubt, and she trembles and dare not take it yet. And sometimes the pain is all but the death she foresees. Yet even as she submits to it, it lays upon her heart the finger of hope, and then she trembles again because she need not take it yet. Those are her chances, Peter. But when she knows that her beloved is her lover, life may do what it will with her, but she is beyond its chances forever. Your corn! You kept my corn! Till it should bear, and your shell there, you've kept my shell. Till it should speak, and now? Oh, see, these things that have held our dreams for twenty years! The life is threshed from them forever. They are only husks. They can hold our dreams no more. Oh, I can't go on dreaming by myself. I can't. It's no use. I thought my heart had learned to bear its dream alone. But the time comes when love in its beauty is too near to pain. There is more love than the single heart can bear. Good-bye, my boy. Good-bye. Helen, don't suffer so. Oh, child, what are you doing? Letting my dreams go. It's no use, Peter. The millstones took them and crushed them. She uttered a sharp cry. She uttered a sharp cry. His arm tightened round her. What is it, child? she heard him say. She looked at him bewildered and saw that he too was dazed. She looked into the grey-green eyes of a boy of twenty. She said in a voice of wonder, Oh, my boy, as he felt her soft hair. Such a fuss about an empty shell and a bit of dead wheat. She hid her face on his jersey. You are a silly, aren't you? said Peter. I wish you'd look up. Helen looked up, and they kissed each other for the first time. I defy you now, Mistress Jennifer, to prove that your grass-blade is greener than mine. End of the Mill of Dreams <laughs>